My bottom was 184 days ago when my, uh, my little girl watched me wash down aspirin with vodka. And then I hit her. And when I passed out, she was alone with me. And she thought I was dead. And all of my life, I will never know what that did to her. That was Meg Ryan as Alice Green in the 1994 film, When a Man Loves a Woman. And this is episode 120 of AA Beyond Belief. My old friend Ben B. from Omaha is back to talk about the film When a Man Loves a Woman, starring Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia. Well, hey, Ben, how you doing? Pretty good, John. How have you been? I'm doing great. Um, It's been a while since we've uh, watched a movie and talked about it. So uh, it's nice to have you back to do that. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I, as you know, I love films, and uh, I go back and listen to our Smash podcast once in a while. And uh, we did—I mean, tooting our own horn—but <laughs> we did a good job on that. I really liked how we went through that. It, it really makes me think when I listen to it. I, you know, I kind of agree. I I think that it would be cool if the producers of that movie would uh, would watch would listen to that podcast. They might think, "Wow, that's pretty good." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it is kind of cool to, to watch the, watch these movies about um, addiction and recovery because um, obviously for us, because we've had the personal experience, but I do learn something from it. You know, I do learn something from watching the movies and I'm, I'm always, I don't know why I'm surprised, but it's amazing to me how moved I am emotionally by watching these scenes, especially when it's the addict who is um, realizing that they have a problem for whatever reason, when those scenes just make me cry. Yeah. So anyway, today we're going to talk talk about when a man loves a woman. Yeah, yeah. I had forgot how moving this movie was. Man, I wasn't. I was. I was prepared, but I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I was weepy throughout the entire thing. <laughs> I really was. The acting is is incredible. Um, Meg Ryan um, as Alice uh, playing the alcoholic, um, just perfect acting. I mean, it was like you know you couldn't even tell she was memorized the script or anything. And and Andy Garcia as the husband, Michael, and the two and the two children actually did a, a fantastic job. Every all the acting was really good. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It's it was interesting to see a young Philip Seymour Hoffman in there too, and uh, Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, that must have been like one of his early movies or something because he just had kind of like a little you know a very small scene there. You know, I don't even know he had like like one line or something you know i don't yeah, know yeah i think yeah i think there's two two instances he appears in and also a recovering addict and alcoholic too before he uh relapsed and passed yeah you know another thing i noticed and i don't know if this is just a coincidence or not but one of those actors the it was an actor that played um alice's father when when her, her parents were coming to visit that guy was um in the movie clean and sober and he was michael keaton's sponsor Oh, yeah. Yep. I can't remember his name, but yeah. I see these people, these actors, you know, sometimes 
popping up. I don't know if it's just because they're good at playing addicts or if they if they have some experience, you know, but you see sometimes some of the same people in these um, addiction movies, I think. Yep. Yeah. You know, one thing I didn't realize, and maybe I knew it and forgot it at once, but Al Franken was an executive producer on this movie and also a co-writer. That's right. And um, he's been speaking out the last few years, especially about being a very active Al-Anon attendee and his wife's problem with alcohol. So yeah, it made a lot of sense thinking about it. Yeah, he's very active in Al-Anon and uh, he's he's a brilliant writer and, and uh, he did a great job with this. You know, I don't know what part of it he wrote, but it was brilliant. So obviously he knows his stuff and, you know, he comes from an Al-Anon, Al-Anon perspective. Yeah. And, and that was interesting too, because, you know, the title of the movie, When a Man Loves a Woman, it's, it's a multifaceted film, but it's really focusing on him, I think, and and, and his um, reaction to his wife, though I didn't pick up on that so much the first time I saw it. So, yeah, I, I agree 100%. The first time I'd seen it a long, long time ago, I don't think I was ever consciously paying attention to movies the way I do now. But this time it felt a whole lot more about him than it did her. Yeah. To me. Yeah, it did for me too. The first time I watched the film, and it was 25 years ago when I saw it the first time. So, and I, so I've been sober, what, five years or something like that? And I, I just thought her depiction of an alcoholic in early recovery was spot on. I mean, about how silly we are, you know, how we get like all excited about our new friends and our meetings and kind of self-absorbed, you know, and, and, and she, she displayed all of those behaviors. And I I thought she just did a perfect job. And also the people that were in the um, treatment center with her, I mean, they're, they're all a little bit nutty, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and they, they got that perfect. It yeah. was exactly right. Yep. And I, so I was really amazed by that. And I don't think I really understood back 25 years ago, the incredible acting on Andy Garcia's part of portraying the spouse of an alcoholic and the real complex emotional dynamic in the relationship between the non-alcoholic and the alcoholic spouse. I thought that was this time when I really picked up on that. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I, I would imagine that's probably Al Franken's, uh, addition there, you know, because yeah, and Andy Garcia does a great job here that that brink of anger and almost violence a few times that he shows at his frustration level at, at what's going on. And you go from being we'll probably get into this more, but you go from being the person who doesn't have the problem and your spouse is the one that has the problem. Well, go take take off and take care of this and then everything's gonna be okay. But that's not that's not the way it works as we know. What should we do? Should we kind of just kind of start from just talk about the movie from the beginning? The movie opens up with the scene of um, Alice, played by Meg Ryan. She's in a uh, restaurant drinking, and uh, a guy is trying to pick her up, and and then Andy Garcia Michael uh, comes in, and he's uh, a pilot, and uh, they kind of have uh, fun at the guy's expense who is trying to pick her up, and right. you know it's obvious that they're they're in love, right? And then um, it, the movie um, moves on to their home life, and. I think the first scene that I remember that focused on her drinking was the night when she needed a drink. She went out to the trash can and I I don't know what she was doing. Was she trying to, was she thinking she was going to throw the bottle away? Was she hiding it or what? Yeah, I think she had that thought in the middle of the night, like, I got to get rid of that bottle. This has got to quit. And then when she does it, then she's like, oh shit, I'll just have this last drink before I toss it. Yeah. And then she was locked out 
um, of her house. And it was kind of an embarrassing um, situation for her. And I think even before that, there's there's little cues, you know, like she's drinking uh, at the house before they're going to go out for an anniversary dinner. And yeah. she takes the drink out the door with her, you know, like little little clues like that. Like she's always carrying around that drink. Yeah. And then I think they went out for, for dinner that night and they're kind of drunkenly dancing on the floor and we're, we're getting pulled into the romance of them after also that first scene, you know, that you meant to tell us how much in love they are. And, and she's a little bit too drunk on that dance floor for where they're at, you know, just, just a slight bit tipsy and just, you know, kind of dance and whatever. And it, they really, it really sets the tone nicely for how just a, a subtle drinking too much can slowly slip into, you know, something you never planned on it to be at all. Yeah. And I could see, you know, during the parts of the movie where she's drinking, how Michael was really the caretaker, mm-hmm. you know, he was the hero that would sweep in and try to solve all the problems. Um, and, you know, the first time I watched the film and I and I was watching Andy Garcia play that role, I thought, well, he's a nice guy. What a great guy he is. You know, he's, he, he seems to be the normal one in, in the relationship. He seems to be the one that has it all together. He's the one who's not being treated right. And I just saw I just saw Meg Ryan as being the one who was like selfish and self-absorbed and, you know, was the one that was causing problems in the relationship. Yeah, that's that's the way I felt, I think, the first time around, too. And, you know, even as somebody who was yet to have a drinking problem, I mean, I think I was blaming her. It was just like, oh, geez, just go and quit drinking and everything would be fine. You know, I'm, yeah, it's not. And I think that's where that's where the movie leads us with Michael too. He just wants to solve everything. He wants the problem to be taken care of. And I think there's parts of the movie where she's like, that's not what this is about. You know, this is, you know, you can't fix this. It's not, that's, it's not about having a problem and solving it. It's, it's, on a deeper level, it's about being aware of those emotions and being able to be there for somebody else and present for them without providing us, you know. You know, I've got something I might want to play. This is a scene where they get into an argument. This is the first time that Alice lets Michael know that that he can't continue the role that he's always played as the caretaker. The thrilling part of all this, it just comes and hits and runs me over like a goddamn freight train. Okay. When's the next freight train coming through? You got a printed schedule? Because I could plan around these things, you know, and give you the space so you can, you know, smoke. Maybe you shouldn't have to, Michael. One of the women at my meetings is going to a halfway house because she, she's not making it in her home environment, and I... What? You're actually thinking about this? I know, wait. Don't start jumping to conclusions. What? Excuse me for taking my life personally, Alice. What is wrong with our home? Nothing. You said it, it was something. What is it, huh? Is it the couch? Is it an area rug? Or is it possibly Alex, Alicia, me? Is it me? It's not your problem. No, it's not my problem, it's just my fucking fault. Everything is my fault. My sick wife is not making it in her home environment. Why exactly? I mean, I am not your problem. I am not your problem to solve. It was so much more fun in the old days, wasn't it, Michael? 
I'd get drunk, I'd pass out, and you'd put me back together. That was the best, huh? That made you feel good. And that's what hurts. That was great, John. Good idea. Um, and like I was saying, how frustrating. You're the partner who feels like you've been holding everything together while somebody goes for 30 days to try and take care of something. And then now you're the one like having empathy for his position. He's the one who's, he feels like he's the problem because look, she's gone and she's working on things and she's probably seeing things clearer than he is in many ways. Like the whole dynamic between them and her taking being taken care of by him and that for her to get better, stay sober, it requires her learning how to take care of herself so it just puts their whole dynamic in just in turmoil yeah and what you said is spot on she was the one who actually could see the truth of their relationship she was the one who who knew that something that needed to change between them and i totally missed that the first time i saw this movie i thought when i when i saw that scene the first time i thought oh that she's she's horrible you know she's (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And and now I and this time I say, wow. He 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 does have some he has some issues that he needs to work on for sure. And you know, wasn't it before the scene when he would go to Al Anon meetings and he told her that he thought they were a bunch of people who felt sorry for themselves? Yep. You know, prior to this scene, I don't think he was really serious about doing anything for his own issues. Um, But maybe after the scene, that's when he started taking the Al Anon more seriously. Yep. This is that turning point, and I think you're right. Right before this, he went to an Al-Anon meeting, and you can see him kind of having contempt for the people sharing, and then he leaves early, I think. And um, yeah, and the jabs that he throws at her with all the sarcasm and spite, like, uh, let me know when the train's coming through, and you can just sit here and smoke. (sighs) And then she blows that smoke right in his face, which is a great move on her part if you're in an argument. You know, I mean, it's not healthy, but then... And then he grabs the smoke out of the air and it's just like, oh, back and forth, those barbs. And it's just, again, the empathy for him from his perspective, it's like, oh, now you're going to go off. You're the one who had the drinking problem. Come back and tell me everything that's wrong. But she's right. She is right. And that's that's the tough part. And this is why a lot of relationships don't make it. Um, Al-Anon, Al-Anon can be a great support for 
figuring some of that stuff out. But if, if in this related to alcohol or not, if one person gets on board with becoming a better person and growing and changing and the other person doesn't, you can see how the dynamic that brought them together in the first place really doesn't hold anymore. Yeah. I can see how it's a lot more difficult for the Al-Anon to have to, um, I mean, the addict is we're kind of forced to, to look at our problem. You know, there's something that it, dramatic that happens that um, interrupts our addiction. Whereas the Al-Anon, you know, like he wasn't necessarily a bad person. He wasn't doing anything. He, you know, he was helping his family, his taking care of his daughters. You know, he was cleaning the house and taking care of things when she couldn't and, and all of this, but it wasn't what she needed. She didn't need someone to take care of her. Yeah, she needed the opposite. She probably needed someone to, to... he talked to at different times about not seeing it at all. And how many people say that, but you really have to turn a blind eye to some of the things we do when we're drinking like that too. Hmm. Um, to not see the problem, especially when you're married to someone, you're living with someone, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's easy to not see, or I think it's common to not see it, but it's kind of a sign of the detachment or, or the, the need to be the person who picks up those pieces all the time. So yeah, wow, that was a great clip. I'm so glad you played that. There were so many scenes in this movie that were incredibly powerful. Um, and really, it really brought tears to my eyes, you know, when I was watching them, it's just, it's just, uh, they did, they did such a great job. This is probably one of my favorite uh, movies when it comes to addiction um, and recovery and and really because of just the the amazing job that she did portraying the alcoholic and also him but you know I did a little bit of reading last night about Meg Ryan and and one of the articles I was reading she was talking about how this was one of her one of the movies that she's the most proud of um, the work that she did in it and I was she married? Was it Dennis Quaid she was married to? Yeah, yep, yep. And I guess he had an alcohol problem at the time that she was making this movie. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and so she said all of the all of these emotions were really fresh um, in her with her. I thought that's yeah. kind of an interesting thing to hear. Yeah, that's uh, you know one of those things that comes along at the right time, I suppose. And Andy Garcia too. He's just got that that burning like hot temper right under the surface. You know, you kind of know that about him. You know, he brings that brings that to the role. I think, and and it's uh, yeah, explosive, explosive anger that just comes out. At, you know, it's just buried deep down inside him, and it just explodes. I can certainly relate to that. I've got I've got plenty of that myself. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I think it, a lot of times those explosive uh, instances like tossing over that table right there, which is almost like a threat of violence, mm. um, is just often comes from burying and burying and burying and not being willing to acknowledge certain things. So so this whole situation with her is is throwing that right into the light for him to have to take a look at too. So we don't, we, I mean, this getting drunk and getting sober stuff is not just a one person deal. It's, it's a, we are part of a, a dynamic and a relationship with everybody, everybody that we know on some level. That's really true. I, you know, I'm fortunate, you know, that I was young, I wasn't married. I didn't really have a lot of, you know, relationships, you know, other outside of my um, original nuclear family. And um, so, I mean, my, my, my situation, I had, I did have an enabler. My father was a bit of an enabler, you know, and um, there was a change in our relationship for sure. Um, and uh, it turned out to be something that took a lot of time to, for us to, I think, really be comfortable with that new relationship. But um, it happened, you know, and I'm glad that it did. But it's not near what, what I did, what I had, what I experienced wasn't near on the level of someone who has a spouse, 
you know, who isn't drinking, but is, you know, enabling them or taking care of them. Um, John, let me ask you this, John, because it's just more my experience. Like I know I've said on this podcast before, I kind of ran from healthy, what appeared to be healthy relationships when I drank because I knew mm. it would require me to, to change probably, or I just didn't have the skills to, to, to make one work. So I didn't even bother. And is any of that true for you at all? I think so. I was a person that um, I just couldn't, I couldn't form relationships. When I was younger, I remember dating and and, uh, a girl would like me or whatever, and we seemed to get along. And I would just get drunk or something and just walk away and just disappear. Um, It was really sad, you know, because there were some really um, nice women that that I met um, and dated and um, they were lucky to not have to deal with me because I had a lot of problems. But yeah, I just avoided relationships. The drinking helped with that, I guess. And and maybe and maybe that was intentional on my part, um, subconsciously, because like you say, I I probably knew deep down that I um I couldn't. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting thing for me to always think about because it's kind of that chicken or the egg. Like, did I end up drinking more because I was running from growing up and getting in a decent relationship, or did the drinking just help me not do that? Or you know, it's 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 both. I think it has to be both, probably. And relationships are difficult anyway, even without mm-hmm. drinking. I mean, oh my um, gosh, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been married for um, since two thousand and six, a long time now. <laughs> yeah. and you know, it takes work. It takes yeah. it takes a lot of work, you know. I've changed over since I've been married, and so has my wife, you know. Um, and we we have to we really have to work at this thing at, at, at not falling into patterns of you know just you know I could just like ignore things you know rather than talk about things. Um, it's just a lot. It, it just takes it takes a lot of care. And you know, when I was drinking, there's absolutely no way I would even have a clue you know, the, of what was required to have a healthy relationship and nourish it, like it's really required. And I'm not so great about it now either, but at least I have an idea that, you know, this is something that, you know, I really have to work at. It's not, it's not like we can just, you know. No. Oh, yeah. Well, and like you said, that's, that's without that, there's no chance of a relationship working. And how many people don't even believe that that's, that's something you have to do. Like I'm, I know my perspective on relationships and marriage changed a lot too. And it, my wife and I were just talking the other night, like it's hard enough when you really love and like the other person to make it work and you have enough time. Like we're fortunate. I get to stay home with the kids and my wife has a job where she's off work at four and home by then. So, I mean, we have about the most ideal situation we could to make something work. Now throw in, you know, two little kids on top of that and then throw in um, two people who work from say seven in the morning till six at night and have two kids. I mean, the odds start to get a little stacked against you. And it's with, without that knowing that you apps, it's actually something you have to consciously work on no matter how no matter how good it is at its base is, is huge. And again, let's say like Andy Garcia, I mean, his character in this movie, he probably wouldn't be somebody who would think you'd have to work on things. He would think, well, what, you know, this is, we love each other. We care about each other. It should, it should be able to work, you know, and getting back to the movie a little bit too, like leading up to that fight too. I think she has come home and, you know, our feelings are so raw and, 
I mean, you know, when was probably the last time they had sex and weren't drunk? Like he's, he's making moves at her here and there and showing her that he's interested and attracted to her. And she kind of rebuffs all his advances. And I'm sure, you know, he's feeling like, well, what the hell is going on? My wife gets sober and now she doesn't even like, um, so it's, it's again, yeah, it's tough. So I'm sure that your relationship has changed a lot since becoming a parent. And I guess probably the way that you know how your how was your reaction to the movie when you were watching the children oh my gosh that tore me apart i'm uh, forgive me i'm probably going to have a tough time not tearing up talking about it but it made me think um you know self disclosure here there are times where i lose my anger with my kids you know kids uh, can be very frustrating i have to own that but like if i holler at my daughter too much she starts to cry um again you should never holler at a kid but I'll admit it. I lose my temper sometimes. And to just see the influence um, that all this stuff in this movie has on a child. And, um, you know, there's those times where it's like, holy cow, I gotta, I gotta chill out there. What is it going to solve yelling or anything? But like to see the stuff going on in this, this movie and realize that you're writing on your kid's script um, for their life, you know? And, And then I also had thoughts about how I think I downplay for myself too. I'll come back to my crap, but I downplay the effect my dad's drinking had on me, even though I always talk about it all the time. I think I'm apt to write it off as like not a big deal. But you know, like when the when she comes up and her mom fell through the the shower door and is laying on the ground. I mean, how many times did I come across my dad passed out on the carpet in the bathroom after he was sitting on the toilet and spilled his beer everywhere and I cleaned it up and just waited for him to wake up? God. You know, I didn't call 911 or anything. I knew it happened often enough that I knew dad had just passed out on the toilet again or something. But, you know, that stuff does write on you, on the script of who you are. And, um, you know, it really made me uh, think long and hard about uh, controlling my anger and making sure that I'm taking care of myself, too. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to pass that crap on to my kids. I'm going to play another scene. This one is sure to make anybody cry. Casey. Is that you? Oh, God. I did her hair. Oh, I like it. Let's see what that hairdo. Oh, that's a little tight. Let me see that. Oh, sorry. Mommy does better. Oh, Mommy does everything better. She cooks better. She looks better. She kisses better. Mommy's a better person. You know, I bet you have a lot of questions things you're feeling about mommy we could talk about that you know like if you're sad or scared or angry or something you could just what's an alcoholic someone with a bad habit you know like if you drank stuff that made you sick but you really liked it so you kept drinking it and it kept making you sick wouldn't you want to learn how to stop What's an alcoholic? It's why she does all that stuff. When she does all that stuff, like when she talks like she's sleepy, forgets stuff, when she's sad, when she cries. She cries in the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, And I I always think, too, the oldest daughter there who isn't uh, Michael's daughter, 
biologically, but just how they nail it because she's so much more grown up and older than her age. And that's that's very common with the older of an alcoholic. And uh, you also hear Michael there. He's very good about about uh, helping the guide the kids emotionally through this and ask them, you know, if you have questions, if you're feeling a certain, it's okay to talk about it, which something he's not that good at doing himself. And when he was listening to his daughter talking about their reactions to their mother and how they would see her cry. It was like this was news to him, you know, and it was, you know, you could tell from the expression on his face that, you know, his, he, he had no idea that it was this bad and it was affecting his kids the way it was. Right. And I mean, she had an ideal situation for a husband too, because he was gone for days on trips flying to, I mean, it makes sense that he didn't see a lot of it too. I guess I was kind of hard on, on that earlier, but yeah, it would be, it would be hard to have a firm grasp on it. And we're good about hiding it too. I mean, she, she did hide her drinking pretty well. And cause she, she, at one point, you know, I think it was when she came back from treatment or something, and maybe it was that argument scene. I can't remember where it was, but she was explaining to him about how she drank, how often she drank. Mm. And it was hurt, hurtful to him because he had, he didn't know, he didn't know it was that bad. And he um, he said, "Why didn't I know?" And she said, "I I hid it from you." That's amazing. <laughs> I hid I I hid it from a lot of people too. And he definitely was blindsided. Um, she's talking about starting at four in the morning and all that stuff, and then it really probably starts to hit your own ego about, well, what kind of partner am I? What kind of parent am I that I allowed this to happen right under my nose? You know? Yeah, it's uh, wow. And the the trauma with the with the kids and what they go through and all that stuff, and but just how resilient they are too in the movie. That's that's very accurate in my experience too. At one point in the movie, they they have to separate. Michael and Alice have to separate, and he gets a job. He gets transferred to Denver. Oh, the that just ripped my heart out watching it the second time when he goes to see them at the the park on the playground equipment, especially the older one, Casey. I think is her name. Uh, she's already feels like she's been left by her first dad. He's got to tell her. She says going on a trip. Well, I think the younger one says going on a trip, but he tells her that he's going to call and come back. You know, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, every chance he gets and. Um, just giving her that reassurance and then having to go talk to the younger one who's not as aware of things and how much, uh, I guess, quote, easier that went. But um, yeah, just uh, this is, you know, it's fiction, but holy cow, this stuff's powerful and it's so accurate. It makes you wonder, you know, because that older little girl, what what's going to happen to her, you know, and uh, and through all this and because you know, there's so many of us like that. And um yeah, that's so powerful. And he doesn't want to go in the realities of our economy and, and how you have to take care of your financial interests of your family too. And, um, you know, cause he was being threatened with being laid off and all the, all those things. All those scenes with the children were, were really powerful. And, you know, the movie just does such a great job showing how addiction and alcoholism affects everybody. It's just, you know, sometimes um, child actors aren't so great, but these, these, these um, kids were really good in this movie. Big <laughs> I, time. You know, it was like, it was like, it wasn't even acting. It was so well done. I think the acting in this movie was better than, oh, what was the movie we saw um, about the sex addicts? I mean, that, that was some good oh, yeah. acting thanks too. Thanks for sharing. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That was a good movie, but this one, I thought the acting was on a whole different level. I think for me, I thought it was just so that that good and it's uh to the i want to mention the nanny i mean she plays a role too in the movie for showing showing his frustrations and taking her for granted and all that stuff that 
that he goes through and uh, how much she helped needed and how, how she could probably see what was always going on. But there's that power dynamic between her and the mom where you don't want to call it out, but you kind of do want to call it out, but you've got your own stuff going on. And cause you know, she can, she can see the issue too. I think at one point she quit, right? Uh, because of, of uh, his, uh, he was, he was going off on her or something. His abuse basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Abuse. And she wasn't going to take it. And then, but then eventually they did reconcile and, and, and um, when she had the baby, Amy was her name. Yeah. Amy, yep. There's that uh, time towards the end, too, where she has a baby and he's looking through the hospital door window at his wife holding all that stuff. That was, that was moving, too. So this whole movie, we start we start with watching the progression of her. Um, you know, we see we see her and him and love and being funny and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we learn a little bit more about her drinking and how it's impacting her. And then we start seeing how it's impacting the relationship. She goes off to treatment. She gets sober. And then we see how her recovery is almost causing more friction in her relationship. It's even more difficult for him to figure out his role now. And ultimately, they, they have to separate. And then at the end of the movie, I don't really know. You know, it's kind of an open-ended movie, because open-ended, open ending, I guess, because it ends with her speaking at her, what is it, six-month anniversary or something like that? Yep. And she so she's giving a talk about her um, recovery and she's very honest about it. She's very um open about her own shortcomings and and what she's done. It was a it's a very moving talk and then he shows up at the end and um I you know, I hope they got together. I don't know. <laughs> we just don't know for sure. Yeah, I think it was an opening to um him coming around to being emotionally present for her and understanding uh just being able to be there for her on some level. You know, we've seen him go to Al-Anon before then, and he finally opens up and talks and speaks. I think I think that leads into that, too. And I can just, one criticism of the movie at the end, I mean, it gets a little cheesy, obviously, but with what he says about her, but, and then they have that makeout session in front of everybody that looks like they're about trying to stick their two heads together as hard as humanly possible. I will say this too about, about one thing that movies never get right is when they, when they portray an AA meeting or a Al-Anon meeting, they never really, they can never really get that exactly right. You know, um, and maybe they're just, maybe the meetings are just different in California. Maybe that's exactly how they are in California. But it just seems to me when I see the, when I see the actual meeting itself, seems that that part, the acting seems to get not so great or for, for whatever reason. Yep, <laughs> and maybe it's just it's... because I've been to so many meetings myself <laughs> that I know how, what they're supposed to be like. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like everybody would start cleaning up around them and say, hey, we need to get all these tables in the right order here. Do you guys quit kissing, please? Oh, <laughs> jeez. Uh, yeah. No, I'm with you, though. The vibe is always a little bit off on those AA meetings. It's it's more like group therapy than they actually tend to be. I exactly. And they never, ever, they never showed the praying at the end. <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. And I remember that, too, as a kid watching any kind of a movie about AA. I, I knew nothing about that they prayed or that they had steps or it, I knew nothing like that, you know? So when I showed up at my first AA meeting and I saw, Oh, 12 steps. Well, I've never heard of those and God all over the place with all this God stuff. Of course, now everybody knows before they go to their first meeting, they know all about that stuff. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's uh, I didn't know what to expect either. Um, Cause movies never portrayed her that way. No, they, they don't. 
And they still don't. They still don't show the, all the religious stuff. Nope, they definitely do not. Um, I appreciate that this one didn't, I guess, because <laughs> that's the last thing I want to see again. But you're right, it's it's not accurate. But wouldn't sure. that be an interesting movie, though? I mean, I mean, they did. The, there was one thing that they did show. I mean, they did show like when at the treatment center, the treatment center that she went to, how some of the people were kind of crazy. <laughs> like the one, one yeah. guy who said, who said, it's a cunning and baffling disease. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Accusing her husband of being in denial, right? Yeah. For sure. All that kind of crazy stuff like that. You know, they did a pretty good job of showing that. But, you know, it would have been interesting too. I mean, it, it would be an interesting movie just to show like um, someone who's like having a really bad problem. They go to AA and they're confronted with all this crazy shit. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. It, it doesn't serve that uh, warm fuzzies uh, you know, right. very well. It's uh, But in reality, you have a lot more to deal with. You know, you have to say, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think they did a great job of showing how raw her emotions were. And then, of course, she takes up smoking again, which is maybe doesn't quite happen as much as it used to as far as everybody just smoking their life away at meetings. But Well, this movie was made in 1994, and I think that they were probably still smoking in meetings around here back in 94, if I remember right. Oh, I, I think, would be. I think probably, that's we're forced true. to smoke to enter the room. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. Well, at the at the group that I went to uh, for many many years, um, it was just you know it was the smoke was so so thick you know it was just crazy. It was worse than any bar. But um, then we went to another building and they decided they're going to make half of the I don't know how you can do this, but half of the room is smoking and half of the room is not smoking, but it's still the same room. <laughs> like half, like half the airplane used to be smoking and half, right. half didn't. Yeah. 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 The the movie is does a great job on the emotional level, I think. And it's it's so it was just so interesting to me that it's about he finally comes around to acknowledge and getting open and honest himself at those last few Al Anon meetings that he went to and finally opens up. And to me that shows that he's prepared to engage on this change with her and realizing what what he needs to do differently. The tone of it, from especially from an Al-Anon perspective in the family, is just so dead on. And here you are, you're watching your wife, like when Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is over at the house, when he comes home from a trip, and he's especially frustrated. You're trying to get close to your wife. You're trying to be there for your wife in all the wrong ways. Um, but here she is sharing these intimate details and stories and times with people she barely even knows. And it's and it's still people who he probably still looks down on because he doesn't understand alcoholism. Yeah, and it, it, I love that scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman too in the house and everything because it shows the goofiness of the of of our you know and especially the early sobriety you know the, the goofiness oh, yeah. of our relationships. And <laughs> For sure, yeah. It's like my wife would be like, "Why are you know like somebody I'd touch base with at a meeting that was like a sixty five year old woman that I just happened to you know." click with you know what it what the hell how's this what's going on there well no nothing i mean it's nothing but yeah i mean it's a great thing about aa too you're hanging out with people that are so different yet so similar and Mm -hmm. it's so diverse and can be so diverse um Mm -hmm. that way that's it's one of the things i do love about aa you know yeah did you say when we started this that um al franken has been speaking out a little bit more about his his experience. Yes. I can't remember where I heard. I think it might've been a fresh air podcast a year ago or something. You know, some of these podcasts I download and don't catch up to them for a while, but um, it was when he came out with a book, not sometime within the last year or two. I mean, obviously he's had to disappear for a while for, for, for other right. reasons. But right. um, uh, so I think the banishment is starting to end. I also saw that he started a podcast where he, where he's starting to uh, talk to other uh, 
famous people about issues. You know, I should check his podcast out. He's a really brilliant guy. And I, I, I would just like, it's kind of interesting. It would be interesting to know how much of his story was in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of did a quick search last night to try and find him talking more about the actual, this movie. And I didn't as much, but I'll try and figure out those podcasts that I heard him on and maybe get them off to you. Because he was really, really uh, well-spoken on the issue and very open um, and vulnerable while he was talking about it. And I really appreciated that. Well, the person who wrote this, and, and he was one of the writers, if not the principal writer, had to understand the complexity of that relationship with the drinker, the non-drinker, the spouse. I mean, obviously, he knew what he was doing when he wrote that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, when you usually step back and think about what's involved with making a movie, you know, like actually writing a script and getting the actors to act it out the way that you want it to be acted. I mean, it's really pretty incredible when you think about it. I mean, when I just go to watch a movie, I never even stop to think about that kind of stuff, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah, you see those those people that accept awards and are seem pretty modest and humble. I think those are the people who have a real understanding that it is it's like an orchestra. Everybody's got to play their parts and you know, the actors and the directors get all the accolades, but if there's something off that that you know, most people can't put their finger on, it it can screw the whole thing up. So anyway, um thanks. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, yeah, you those clips you played are great and I, it was a really good time for me to return to this movie. I mean, with the kids stuff and um you know, I think in general, I tend to, uh, I probably belong more in Al-Anon than I do AA, even though I definitely, definitely believe I'm an alcoholic. But um, I've always heard it suggested that that for people in AA to go to Al-Anon, because you get yeah. a different aspect of the recovery. You get to, you get to see the relationship side and, you know. Well, I think for, for most people, if they're ready to look at it too, it's, it's, it's more about the nitty gritty, I think Al-Anon is and looking hardcore at at uh, who you are. I mean, I know the steps are supposed to get us there too, but I think AA as typically practiced or as typically sounds in the room tends to be, um, okay, I'll be accused of AA bashing, but I think it tends to be a lot of pomp and circumstance or whatever that, I'm just not circumstance. But, you know, and it's it's all this just rigidity and, uh, you know, it's like lately when I've, I went to another meeting last Friday after I came down to your meeting and those are the first couple of meetings I've actually been to for myself within the last year i've gone to a few for birthdays and i've i've had a tough time speaking like there's a good thing about aa is and it gives kind of structure to the way you can talk and helps get things out because of that structure but then on the other hand it we all from my perspective everybody starts to sound exactly the same and maybe that serves a newcomer well sometimes or maybe most of the time i don't know but i just just not so sure that it's it's helpful for long-term recovery. Yeah. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder, um, when am I going to retire from AA? <laughs> you know, it seems like I should be able to retire now. They should give me a watch or something. But, um, uh, I, uh, what I, I think I've been actually, I've been thinking about my relationship with AA and how it's been changing, but I'm really at a point now where I'm almost becoming an, an observer because I realize that there, there's nothing that I can say or do that's really going to make a tremendous impact on someone's life. It's, it's the cumulative experience that they have with each other. And, um, I, have been enjoying watching people come to the group and watch them form relationships, um, get their lives back, pursue um, activities that they're interested in, or maybe something new for them, just really enjoying their life. And I enjoy watching that. And I also enjoy watching their care for the group itself. Um, It's just that kind of thing. Like right now we're, we're doing a, we're going to, we're putting, we're raising money for this, um, 
uh, big anniversary we're going to have in September. And the group, I mean, I, I was afraid to tell them, you know, because I, I, I committed to all these things that cost quite a bit of money. <laughs> and uh, so um, <laughs> anyway, so I thought, oh, I feel terrible. I'll just have to pay for this myself. But anyway, they're they all pitching in. And I mean, we've got enough money to pay for all the, all the crazy stuff that I'm doing. Wow, that's great. <laughs> we're um, we're actually we're going to bring Joe C down here uh, from Canada. Okay, so that's one thing. We're renting this um, hall, the the place that you saw that we're, we had the speaker meeting. Lovely place. And, mm-hmm. and we're also going to have this thing in Kansas City called Sands Bar. They do like non-alcoholic beverages, and they are going to have a um, musician playing there as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we've got all kinds of we've got entertainment and oh God. So yeah, but that costs money too. So anyway, I was kind of like, I was a little stressed out, but a couple of people from the group, they kind of, they kind of came together and they started organizing it and getting people to donate money. And um, now, now we're going to be just fine. So, but you know, watching that kind of stuff, it's really heartwarming. It's like, oh, wow. You know, you guys are just wonderful. Yeah. What kind of turnout you think you'll have, John? I don't know. I think I think the last time we had about 70 people um, oh, wow. there. Yeah. If we have that this time, I'd be happy because the room actually only holds 75. So if we get like 100 or whatever, that'd be cool. But it'd be, it'd be kind of tight, but that's okay. It was great coming down and speaking at your meeting, but it's just so great to see the diversity of a, of a well, a meeting in general. But I, what I'd seems like secular meetings tend to be more diverse and people are more open about, you know, their gender identity and tend to be younger people who I always think like aren't well served as well served in more traditional AA. So it's just, it's just encouraging to see people, like you said, walk in their own path. See, my, my AA experience though is kind of twisted because, uh, <laughs> because I went to an all men's group for so long and it was all white guys like me pretty much. And so that was the world I lived in for a long time. So now this is the first time, you know, since we started this group, uh, we agnostics that I've had other people and I've learned a lot. Yeah, I like to see that too. I like the diversity of our group. Yeah, it was great. And um, yeah, I really wish I could come down. My niece is getting married that weekend and it could be a a big mess of a weekend (laughs) trying to take care of two little kids and all that. So there's a part of me that just wishes I could come down there and get away for the weekend. So well, we'll have it recorded too. There'll be other opportunities. It was nice to see you down here. We'll have your um, we'll have that talk posted pretty soon too. I got to get caught up on that. I came away feeling like, what the hell did I just say? But you know, how many times have I walked away from a speaking at an AA meeting and feeling like I just that was exactly what I wanted to say? <laughs> Never, you know. Well, it's interesting because that that meeting always gets um, every single week um, somebody new, and they're not necessarily secular people, you know, and oftentimes they're not. Sometimes they come from other AA groups and so forth, but they all seem to accept the group just fine. You know, um, we read our own little version of the AA preamble, you know, and all these different things and no one seems to mind. So, well, group autonomy. All right, Ben. Well, thank you very much. It's been, it's been great chatting with you. Uh, thanks for suggesting the movie. I really did enjoy it. And, uh, I hope, I hope that we did a good job in this podcast of kind of, um, giving people an idea of, of what the movie's like and you know what what you can get from it. Well, and I think most people are familiar with this movie, so it's probably a little bit easier to just kind of ramble about it and rather not have to feel like we have to fill anyone in. So I always enjoy it.
Well, that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support our site and podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help out. You can post a review on iTunes, hopefully a favorable one. You can help us out financially with either a recurring or one-time contribution. You can do this by setting up a small recurring contribution at our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief, or through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. And you can always just visit our site, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the donate button. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of AA Beyond Belief.